Good morning. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 7. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 7. John writing says, Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no uh, cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Father, thank you. Thank you for the Sunday morning, Lord, and whatever has gone on today, Lord. Uh, Lord, we know that you are the great uh, controller of all things. Father, you're, you're the fixer of all that is broken in our lives. We just thank you for that. Thank you for your presence in this place today. And Father, uh, empower us in our hearing and our understanding and in our receiving your word in Christ's name. Amen. I want to ask you a question. What do you think of when somebody says the word commandment to you? Uh, when you think of commandment, sometimes we might think of the Old, the Old Testament ceremonial and judicial laws. There's a whole bunch of 600 laws of those judicial and ceremonial laws that God has given. You read that, and you know, when people read the book of Leviticus, most people don't like the book of Leviticus because it's just all one law after the other. But folks, what you're seeing there is, is a picture of who Jesus Christ is. Uh, you, you realize that when you read that book of Leviticus, that Jesus fulfilled all that law that was in there. Uh, he is a perfect embodiment of what God has required for people. But uh, that's still not what we're looking for. Maybe perhaps when you think of the word commandment, it brings the mind of the moral law of God. You know, say, what is the moral law? Well, that moral law is what we call the Ten Commandments. Uh, or or, or maybe, maybe you might be thinking... It's the new commandments that Jesus gave to his disciples as he taught them. Three years he walked with them and taught them. Maybe that's what John's speaking of. What, what commandment is John speaking of in verse 7? He says, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old one. What commandment is that? So as we look at our text in, in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. If you look real close at that, doesn't it appear to you that John might be just playing with our minds over here with these words? New, old, old, new, and, and he, he's jumping back and forth. John, what are you trying to say? He says, I'm not writing a new commandment to you. And then almost in the same breath, he says, I'm writing an old commandment. And then John doubles back and he says, on the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment. <clears throat> so what is it, John? Is it old or is it new? What is this commandment that is either old or new or somewhere in between? In fact, in verse 7 alone, he says, a new commandment, an old commandment, and an old commandment. It's like he doesn't know which way to go. And sometimes when we read the scripture, we don't know which way we're supposed to go either because it can be confusing unless we stop and meditate and pause and reflect. 
And in fact, in fact, when you read the, the book of Psalms, you ever come across in a book of Psalms, you'll see this little five-letter word, S-E-L-A-H, Selah. You know, people will say, they'll, they'll read it and they'll say, Selah, not knowing what that means. The word means to stop and reflect and meditate upon what you just read. So when you see that word Selah in there, it means just stop and think about what you just read. You know, uh, and it, it's, it's not part of the psalm. It's a part, it, it's, it's, a direct, it's a direction for us. To, what's the guy telling me? What's the author telling me? What is God trying to tell me in his word? The word commandment in verse 7 does, does not refer to the idea of law. It is, it is not a law. It is a precept, and there's a difference between a precept and a law. A, a precept is a, is a, means a, the way a person is to conduct himself or herself uh, in your moral, in your moral atti- attitude or conduct. You know, it is, uh, if I can use a, a modern illustration, you're driving your car, and uh, there is a precept that says if somebody cuts in front of you that you toot your horn and yell at them. That's that's not a precept. That's what you want to do. But the precept is to be courteous and and to bless them anyway. You know, the the good thing to do, the good thing which we all need to learn, is to still continue to be courteous. That is, you need to control your moral conduct. That's what a precept is. It's not a law, but it's it's you are under God's control. When John uses the term new commandment then, we need to understand what the word new means. There are, there are two words for new in the Greek. We have one word in the English for new, and that's the word new. <laughs> you know, uh, things are new. This is a new day. This is new. This, you know, my, uh, my, my hair piece is new. Whatever. You know. New. And then, uh, so we, you, you, you have to look at the context which way the word new in English is used. However, that's not true in the Greek. In the Greek, there's two words for it. There's a word that's called neos. It means new. It means new in relation to time. For example, this is a new day. This is a new age. New in relation to time. There's also another word, kenos. Something that is new in quality. It speaks of something old has worn out and new things are brought in to replace them. For example, I have a new pair of shoes. The old is worn out, new, new shoes are on my feet. Not literally, but I'm just telling you that. So there is new in relation to time and new in relation to quality. And so there's two Greek words, neos and kainos. So in verse 7, John uses the Greek word kainos, new in quality, something new in quality, replacing that which is old. What they had was the commandment given to them at the very beginning of their walk with Jesus. Jesus gave them this, this command or precept. But that doesn't answer the question as to what that commandment or precept is. And the answer is found in verses 9 through 11. And that's all. The whole essence of this passage is about one word. 
And that's the word love. That is what is old and what is new. Is love. John says it's old but it's new. It's new and it's old. Now then, this matter of love is, is not something that was new to anyone. It wasn't some super secret idea that Jesus and his disciples came up with in order to have something that no one else had ever thought of before. Of course people thought of that before. Folks, listen, the idea of love is at the very forefront. It's at the very foundation of the gospel. When you, when you look at your favorite verse in the Bible, for many of you, it's a favorite verse, John 3, 16. For God so, what? Loved the world. So that idea of love is God, God from the foundation of the world loved you. Your name as a believer was inscribed in the Lamb's book of life from the very foundation of the world because God loved you. We don't all understand that. That is beyond us because it's, it's hard for the, for the finite like you and I to understand the infinite. But God is able to do that. And so the idea of love is not something new, but it could be something new for us if we haven't practiced it before, couldn't it? It's about just loving people. Four kinds of love. I, I shared this with you before, but just quickly, four kinds of love in the Greek. We, we have one word for love, you know, and that's just love. You know, I, I, love, I love my wife, I love my dog, I love my car, I love pizza. So, you know, the wife wonders, where do, where do I fit in that? Is it somewhere between the pizza and the car or the dog and the, you know, where do I fit in that? Uh, so we have one word for love, just like we have one word for new. We have one word for love. And, but the Greeks have four words for love. There is agape love, which you're familiar with. That's a self-sacrificial love that Jesus had for us. He, he gave himself for us. You know, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's God's agape love for us. There's phileo love. We get the word Philadelphia. They need some loving after last night's game, but phileo, brotherly love. There is stargine love. That's the love that we have in relationship Uncles, cousins, brothers, sisters, that kind of love. I'm related to this person. I love, this is my family I love. And then you have the fourth kind of love, which is not a good love at all. And it's called eros in the Greek. It's where you get the English word erotic. That is never good love. That's, kind of, that's the kind of love you see in some pornographic material. That's not love at all. That's using people as an object to satisfy your, your lustful heart. God so agaped the world. During the, the supper meal on the night Jesus was betrayed, Jesus said to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you that you love, not stargine, not eros, not phileo, agape, that you love, that you agape. You love somebody unconditionally. 
It's not based on what they could do or can't do. It's you love that person because they, like you, are a person created in the image of God. And you love that person because God made that person. That is why abortion is such a heinous thing. God created these people, and we are destroying what God has created. God loves enough to create, and we feel that we can destroy it. That's not our call. Anyway, let's get off on another subject. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another, John 13, 34, and 35. So we understand now that this new commandment is for us to love one another. So as you come to verse 8 then, we read, the darkness is passing away. It sounds like the darkness is coming, doesn't it? In fact, when I left my home this morning at 7 o'clock, it was really dark out there. I couldn't see. I'm running over roundabouts and everything. And Patty says, you're going to hit the curve. And I ran over it. I couldn't see. It's, it's hard. It's hard to live in a world that there's this total darkness. And it seems like in a world today that there is darkness out there, isn't there? Spiritual darkness. We can't see where we're going. And we are, we are blinded because the world has put so much, the culture has put so much in front of us that blocks the precious view of who Christ is to be in our lives. And it blocks our view. And sometimes we allow that to happen to us. We are blinded like Demas. It says, Paul says, Demas has fallen in love with this world. We lose sight of who God is because we are blinded by the things of this world. But he says the darkness here, he says the darkness is passing away. So what does, he, what does he mean? Is John saying that this present age is ending? Maybe it is. Or is he saying that a new age, a new day is coming? New? Neos? The new day? Is it One? What is leaving, or is it to what is coming? What is it, John? What is leaving us, or what is coming? It is both. It is what's leaving and what is coming. Listen, when you first became a Christian, something happened to you. Do you all realize that when you became a Christian, something wonderful happened in your life? In, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul writing to the church of Corinth, he, listen to what he says, if anyone, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creature. Now, when does that happen? Does that happen after you're a Christian for 20 years? Or does it happen when you fully understand the, the messianic strain that is found in, in uh, Isaiah 53? I mean, when does that happen? It happens the moment of your conversion, the moment you put your trust into Jesus Christ, when you realize that you no longer belong to yourself, you belong to God. You no longer belong to the devil, I should say, but you belong to God. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things, the old have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And when he talks about new, he's not, he's not talking about new in a matter of time. He's talking about new in a matter of quality. You become a different quality person when you become a Christian. Because the word that's used there 
The word that's used when he says new things have come is the word kainos, not new in time, not neos, new in time, but kainos, new in quality. You are a new quality person. Listen, what you used to be, you no longer are. And where you are now is not where you used to be or ever will be again. You have passed from this present world order and age and into the world of God's kingdom. And it is the kingdom of light. You have passed out of darkness and you've come into light. God has set your course for this eternal prom- for his eternal promised land. And you, may, you and I may not see things by sight, but we're able to see them by faith. Back in the 1700s, there was a guy by the name of Samuel Stennett. I bet no one has ever heard of Samuel Stennett. Anybody ever hear of Samuel Stennett? He's not a member of this church, but he was, he was around in the 1700s. And he wrote some words. And if I tell you what these words are, I say, oh, I've heard those words before. But it, it says exactly, it says exactly what has happened to you. That as you're journeying through in your new life, as you journey through, you're, you're coming to a place in your life where, where you could see the end. You could see what God has in front of you. Listen to what he wrote in the 1700s. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast the wishful eye. Have you heard that before? To Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. I am bound for the promised land. I am bound for the promised land. Oh, who will come and go with me? I am bound for the promised land. Folks, that's you. You're a new person. You're a new creature. God has created you with the ability to love your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Friends, listen. Spiritually, you and I are standing on the shoreline. We, from this vantage point, can see God's promised land. We're not there yet. But God has prepared a way to get us there. We still have got some work to do, but we are able from our vantage point to see the final product. Our labors may have become a heavy burden, but he promises to renew our strength. The road that we may travel is rough, but he has shod our feet with the gospel of his peace. Our journey may be tough, but our way is certain, for he is our shepherd. And yes, the world may hate and shun us, but Jesus will always be our friend. He tells us in John 16, in this world you have tribulation. And then he says, same verse, but take courage, I have overcome this world. He's overcome it because Jesus is our guide. Jesus is our deliverer. Jesus is our healer. Jesus is our rock. Jesus is our fortress. Jesus is our strength. And Jesus is our refuge. Folks, listen. What a friend we have in Jesus. It is Jesus who sits enthroned in the heavenlies. And all the hosts in glory cry out to him. And they say, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. 
when you became a Christian, you are like those heavenly hosts, and you one day will be fashioned in glory as you cross over, sort of speaking, Jordan's banks. You go to the other side, and you'll become one of those heavenly hosts, and you will cry out with the hosts of heaven, to him be honor and glory and riches and dominion forever and ever. So how can we say that we love God? And at the same time in verse 9, say that we hate our brother and sister, or at odds with our brother and sister in Christ. It doesn't make sense. If you say that you love God and you hate, or you're at odds with your brother or sister, the Bible is clear in telling us that the person who is in the light, the person who walks with the true light, has a life that is characterized by obedience and love toward God and a love toward others. This whole commandment, this whole precept that we are given is one about loving people. Not condemning, not criticizing, not being cruel to them, but loving people, treating them like you want to be treated. Is that not what we call the golden rule? Shouldn't there be a concern on our part when we attempt to justify our sour attitude when others, with a, toward others, and we say that, well, because we're the way we are, says, well, that's just the way I am. Doesn't it bother you to say, that's just the way I am? Or I, I've had, listen, I've heard that, as, as a pastor, years past, when, when people would get upset, I can remember, I'll not tell you who it was or what church, one lady one time was coming down the stairs, she was kind of loosey-goosey anyway, she came down the stairs and had a plate full of uh, bread, she got mad and she just pitched it and it was like your home of the throat rolls, they were just bouncing everywhere, they said, well, that's just the way she is, it's not the way people just are, if you're in Christ, you're not that way. Why would we act that way? You know, same, same person walked up to me one time. Oh, it, was, it was five minutes before 11. I was getting ready to preach. Five minutes before 11, getting ready to preach. This one lady, same lady walks up to me. She says, she says Pastor, I got to talk to you. I said, well, I'm getting ready to preach. It's, just, it's about five minutes before service. She says, just only take a second. And she told me how miserable my sermons were. <laughs> How, how sick my sermons made her. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you get moved by them. Uh, I... When people tell you that they can't change who they are, they're absolutely right. They can't. But if you're in Christ, God did. If you're genuinely in Christ, God did change you. You cannot, be, you cannot be what you used to be. This then takes us to verses 10 and 11. Do you recall from verse 7 where, where John was talking about an old commandment and then a new commandment? So listen, when a person is in a right relationship with God, they are able to fulfill Christ's commands that are to love others in the same way that we love ourselves. Jesus wants those 
who cross our paths to know that we are abiding in him, that we are obedient to him. And we, by this, by demonstrating that our relationship with him is based upon that old new commandment, that we have a relationship with Christ that is an old new commandment, that we're, that we're to love God, we're to love one another. Isn't that the great commandment that, that Jesus gives the, the, the Pharisees? That we're to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and that we're to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Is that not the great commandment that God gives us? To love one another. We close with this. Verse 11. Do you see the phrase in there? Darkness has blinded his eyes. What does that mean? Darkness is blind. If you would, please turn with me to John chapter 8. I want to just share something with you from John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, verses 42 through 44, listen, in John 8, you have something really, this is an amazing passage. Beginning about verse 30 or so. It says in verse 30, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. You would think that they're all saved, wouldn't you? Many came to believe in him. But listen, Jesus talking to the same people. Jesus talking to the same people from John 8, 30, which says many came to believe in him. Talking to the same people. Look at verse 42. He says, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He's talking to the same people from John 8.30, which says many came to believe in him. There are those who continue in willingly rejecting the truth of God's word and who remain in bondage to Satan and to sin and death. And folks, here's the unfortunate thing. You find some of those people in the church. Find them in a church. I'm not saying, every, not this church though, but every other church. <laughs> You'll find, listen, there are people in the church, different denominations, it doesn't matter, who don't know Jesus. Do you believe that? There are people who go to church that don't have a faith in Christ. Please understand, not all, not all who say they are religious or spiritual are children of God. It is only, it is only those who have put their trust into Jesus who is both Savior and Lord. There is only one Savior and Lord, and that is Jesus Christ. There is only one way to the Father. It is through Jesus Christ. 
I don't care what denomination you are. Listen, it makes no difference what denomination you are that that denomination is not going to save you. I'll guarantee you, being a Baptist is not, is not your card to glory. It is not. We, we happen to belong to a Baptist church. But that's not your ticket to heaven. It is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and Him only that you're saved. It is Jesus who came into this world, conceived in, the, in a virgin's womb by the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus who lived a perfect, sinless life. It is Jesus who died on a cross, bearing both our sins and His Father's wrath. And it was Jesus who on the third day arose from the dead. It is Jesus and Jesus only who saves. This is so clear. Please understand, folks, right, to, right today, this very moment, if you have never, ever in your life confessed your sins, acknowledged your sins, repented of those sins, and put your trust into Jesus Christ and Him only to save you, not the church, not baptism, not the Lord's Supper, none of those things, not, not being a Baptist, not coming to Hazelwood Church, none of that. It is only by putting your trust in Jesus are you saved. Period. Period. If you've never done that before, you need to do it now. Otherwise, I will, I will tell you this from the, from the assurance of God's Word. If you, re, if you reject Christ, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, that your mind has been blinded by Satan. He has veiled your eyes from the truth that you're living in darkness, and you will perish in your sins. Not only will you be alienated from God forever and ever, but you will be thrown with, with Satan and the hosts of hell into the lake of fire, according to the Word of God. You today, if Christ, if Christ spoken to you in His Word, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin and your need for Christ, today, while Christ still has yet to return today, if you sense his calling you to salvation, I would, at, would invite you to please come forward so that we might pray with you and for you and celebrate with you about what a great thing Christ has done in your life.